Hello, Red Bridger. We meet again, once uh, again, online through internet because of the social distancing uh, ordinance that's in effect. Pastor Vic Borden here, Red Bridge Baptist Church, with staff member Adam Claxton. And you'll notice that, um, Brother Adam, we are observing social distancing. Mm-hmm. I, want, I want that to be noted, and we're taking in that seriously. Um, but we did want to have a midweek uh, time where um, this evening we will revisit a beloved doctrine, uh, subject in the Word of God, beloved among Bible believers, in kind of a discussion format. Uh, Not just either one of us preaching, but uh, discussing this all-important doctrine. And so this evening, we're going to present a review of the doctrine of justification. Now, if you would, uh, people of God, take your Bible and turn to Romans right now, Grab your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 28, just as a springboard to introduce this review of the doctrine of justification. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. As you know, the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, and the first eight chapters deal with this very issue of justification. How can a person be right with God? And what has God done to make that possible? Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God. Now folks, you'll remember that in the New Testament, especially when Paul is using it, the word righteous, righteousness, just, justification, justify, are all variations of the same root word. And, and it speaks of the, uh, the quality of God's character, the perfection of God's character, the impeccability of God's character on display. And so, in this case, it says, the righteousness of God apart from the law, that is, separate from the law, is manifest. It's made evident being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That is, the Old Testament spoke of this. And the Apostle Paul continues on in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Christ Jesus, upon all and uh, and upon all them that believe. I'm sorry, unto all and upon, upon all that believe. For there is no difference. In other words, whether Jew or Gentile or any other classification you might want to identify, there's no difference because the righteousness of God comes about by faith in Christ. And then it summarizes the reason why. For all have sinned, verse 23, and come short of the glory of God. And now it gets into greater detail. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is the paid price that's in Christ he paid the price he paid the penalty for sin which allows us to be declared righteous or be justified in the eyes of God whom God has set forth that is Christ to be a propitiation Uh, brother Claxton big word there uh, what do you understand uh, the, the King James word propitiation to be? Well, handily, in the English Standard that I'm reading, 
it translated propitiation. <laughs> okay, the very so, same word. Yeah, and okay. it's a good word, even it though is. it's a ten-cent word. It's it, those, it is a good word. It's one of those required learning words for a new Christian because it, it really means the um, the satisfaction, satisfaction of the wrath of God. Satisfaction of the wrath of God. A good good way to phrase it. So, whom God set forth to be the satisfaction of the wrath of God, to translate it that way, through faith in his blood. Of course, whenever the blood of Christ is um, indicated or mentioned, that is speaking of his vicarious death. It's how he came about dying. His blood was shed. For it says in Leviticus 17.11 that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so when his blood was poured, poured out, it's indicative that he gave his life. So it's through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. In other words, God's righteousness, his, his judicial character is vindicated because he was able to have the remission of sins of those that are past through the forbearance of God as well as at this time in verse 26. Now, I looked this up, uh, Brother Adam, um, and studied it again. I've not preached through the book of Romans in probably 20 years. Uh, maybe, maybe, actually, I think I was preaching through the book of Romans when you, your family came to Redbridge. Is that correct? 12 years ago? 12, 13 years ago? That could be. Whatever it was. Um, I've not preached it in, in a long time. And I looked up uh, and, and did some study on this in verse 25, that for the remission of sins that are past. What do you, uh, what do you guess that that's... Uh, I'm springing this on him because he didn't know I was going to ask him this question. What is he talking about, the sins that are past? In his, in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, meaning I, the way I understand that mm -hmm. is that Christ's substitutionary uh, satisfaction of the wrath of God counted not just for those who would believe after him, yes. but also for Old Testament saints that as is, well. That is precisely what I believe that, uh, that to mean as well. And so it, it's the, the work of the gospel, that is the grace of God in Christ, is not just for us. It wasn't just for the Romans. It was for all who had believed. Uh, going back to Adam and Eve, when the animal was killed and the, the, the bodies of Adam and Eve were covered with those animal skins um, as an atonement, it covered their sin. But that sin was only covered all throughout those uh, centuries and millennia until the time of Christ when the complete satisfaction for the payment of sin was met on the cross. So, it's through the forbearance or the patience of God, he waited until that could be done to declare, verse 26, I say, at this time, his righteousness. So it was both back then as well as now that he, God, might be just, that is, his justice would be met and be the justifier of those who believe in Jesus. Continuing on, verse 27, it asks the rhetorical question. Where is boasting then? Okay, who can brag on himself about this very thing of salvation, of justification? It's excluded. There, there isn't any. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. And verse 28 gives a summary. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified, that is, made right with God, by faith, apart from, separate from the deeds of 
the law. This evening, a review of the doctrine of justification. And um, three points that I'd like us to consider. Uh, first of all, the provision for justification, the provision. And Adam, I'd like you to begin uh, maybe giving us, you, you wrote me a, a note um, this past week about a definition. Um, and again, I'm, 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 I'm springing this on you, but give us a working definition and explanation of uh, the doctrine of justification. I can do that because I've been using this definition since I was in Bible college. Mm. When I first um, heard it, I, I don't know, some, I was actually a Romans professor who taught it to me, I don't know where he, if it was originally him or not. But he defined justification as the judicial act of God whereby he declares not guilty the believing sinner. One more time, very slowly, and maybe uh, maybe uh, our editor will have this on the screen um, as you've just now co- stated that. One more time, say it. Yeah, I will, and maybe I'll highlight a couple things as I say it. Mm-hmm. So, justification is the judicial act of God. So, in other words, this is this is not something that He makes physically happen inside right. of you. This is some this is something that God does as the judge on the bench. So, the the judge is passing a decree. Yes. Okay. And it's the judicial act of God whereby He declares not guilty. Mm. Uh, in other words, righteous, to use the word that Paul Interesting. You said the word not guilty, but you didn't say innocent. Y- yeah, yeah. Because we're not being restored to our state in the garden. Right. It's actually much beyond that. Okay. Um, so whereby he declares not guilty the believing sinner. Mm. And um, those those last two words, of course, are just as important as the others. The believing sinner, because we, we hold with Paul here that justification is by faith alone. Um, and God is declaring a sinner because you and I actually were sinners at the time we were justified. Mm-hmm. He's declaring sinners to be righteous. So again, the judicial act of God whereby he declares not guilty the believing sinner. Um, and, and the Apostle Paul addresses uh, to, a, to a little bit of a degree here what was required for that justification to take place. Speak to that. Yeah, well, a couple of... That's a big topic. Yeah. Uh, it's bigger than this passage in, in Romans And it deals with the concept of propitiation. It does. And two things that I would for sure want to point out just from this text is, um, number one, we say what's required. At the, at the root in verse, um, let me find it, verse 26, it was to show his righteousness, God's righteousness at the present time, mm-hmm. the passing of the former sins, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And I think this is key to our understanding of what does it take for God. It's not just a matter of God being able to say, okay, well, that sin, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that go because if I'm the judge and it's my prerogative. Mm-hmm. He didn't make, let it go. That would make him unjust. That's exactly right. He's declared a law. If I violate that law and he says, never mind, it's okay that you violated that law, He's no longer just right. because he has an upheld standard of the law that he himself set. Exactly. Um, so God has to somehow be able to look at me as a sinner and on the basis of just my faith, not on the work of me becoming not a sinner anymore as if that were possible, but on the basis of just my faith, be able to say that I am not guilty when mm. I in fact am guilty. Mm. And of course, the, the way that that is possible judiciously Judicially, for God to still be just and the justifier of me, a believing sinner, is that the blood of Christ actually satisfied the demands of the law for me. The wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. There had to be death for my sin. Only 
Christ's death could be acceptable in the place of my death for my Why? Son. Why is it so exclusive? Uh, you said only Christ's death. And scri- uh, Scripture bears that out. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father but by me. Uh, it, it says in uh, the book of Acts, uh, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, book of Romans uh, teaches that principle throughout. Why, why is it that the... Talk, speak to us about the exclusive, exclusivity... Easy for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> of the gospel. Um, why? I, it, I, that is a... Man, you did not give me enough prep time for a question that day. <laughs> well, uh, I, when I was a children's church pastor many moons ago... And we'd have Bible uh, Bible answer man time. I told the children they could ask what, where, when, and how questions. What no, happened? No way. When did it happen? How did it happen? Where did it happen? But if you ask a why question, a lot of times it's because it was according to the good pleasure of God's will. That's the answer for why. But we are not in children's church, so you can ask a why question. <laughs> And the, the briefest of answers that I could think of is um, God provided for um, the satisfaction of his wrath for humans mm-hmm. by making his son mm-hmm. become the object human. of that wrath. Yes, yes. yes. Specifically, he... So we go back to Christmas. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the incarnation was absolutely necessa- yeah. necessary because only a human can satisfy the wrath of God against a human. In fact, it says, if I may, uh, while you have, still have time to think on that, Galatians uh, 4 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, that is, when uh, God deemed it so, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, that is, the the virgin conception and birth of Christ, why did he do it? To redeem them that were under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons, so that yeah. we might be declared legally children of God. So, so yes, the Son of God had to become a Son of Man as well. Mm. But, but beyond that, how can... Um, how can that be the only way? Well, couldn't there be some other mechanism? Uh, if if it were some other God's law that we had violated, m- maybe there could be. But the fact is, this is the God of the universe who made this law mm-hmm. that we violated, of which we are guilty. And he made provision for forgiveness of that sin. And he only did it in one way. Yes. In other words, he sent one son, right. his only son, yes. to become the one savior of Who died the world. one time. Absolutely. And and that was the only provision he made. Yeah. First he lived a perfect life, though tempted in all ways. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so it, it's almost, um, when we ask about the exclusivity of Christ, it's, it's almost like we think that we are actually the ones whose law was violated. Mm. <laughs> we were not. Yeah. It was God's law. And it was up to him to figure out, okay, how can I be both just and the justifier of the of of the ungodly, the unrighteous, and this, his solution was, I will send my son to become one of them and and suffer the penalty that they deserve. Now, uh, getting into it, it, even weightier concepts uh, than propitiation, oh, no. and that is uh, the idea of infra and supra lapsarianism of uh, in the mind of God. When was all this decreed? In other words, when did this? plan uh, uh, develop 
and all. Of course, that uh, that is beyond the scope of uh, of this discussion. Oh, I thought we were going to answer that now. <laughs> okay. uh, if in fact it's uh, ever going to be um, reachable for uh, for our discussion. Okay. So the provision of justification. Secondly, the mechanism of justification. That is, how did it actually take place? In what way? What form did it take? And uh, so I use, I use the word uh, mechanism, for lack of a better word. Uh, and I want to suggest, and, uh, and bounce this off of you, um, that the plan was in place for Christ to come and be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, and die a substitutionary death. From eternity past. From eternity past, mm-hmm. and that plan was made. But in time, that's what I'm asking, the mechanism in the course of time, how was I justified? How were you actually justified? Mm. And might I suggest that the very first um, dynamic uh, which took place was regeneration. Do you, do you uh, buy into that or might there be something else? I absolutely buy into that. Now, I don't, I'm, I'm not talking about the believer's election Mm-mm. in eternity past. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about in the course of time, right now, regeneration. Speak to us about regeneration. So you're, you're pointing out something that is, uh, I, I think, maybe important to, to draw attention to here. When we say justification, we're talking about one element of the broader topic that we might say, we might call salvation. salvation. How does mm-hmm. God save Or salvation? redemption. Uh-huh. And um, that topic begins with election of unbelievers in eternity past, yes. before you or I existed to sin or be regenerated. Yes. It ends with our glorification yes. at some point in the future mm-hmm. of the return of Christ. And in between, um, there's a step of calling where we hear the gospel. But in order for us to hear the gospel and believe it, as opposed to all those who hear the gospel and don't believe it. Which I, there was any number of times I heard the gospel and rejected mm-hmm. it as, as a lost sin. Mm-hmm. The difference between when you accepted mm-hmm. it uh, versus having rejected prior, I believe scripture teaches, is just that regeneration. Regeneration, I agree. The, the, the spirit of God blowing as mm-hmm. the wind where he was. John 3 and verse 8. Mm-hmm. And uh, causing your spirit, which was dead right. through the fall. Yes, to come alive, wake and, up, and be able to receive, and uh, and isn't that that's exactly what John uh, check that Charles Wesley uh, mm. wrote in the great hymn, my favorite hymn uh, uh, of of the ages, and can it be? He wrote in one of the verses, second or third verse. He said, "Long or for a long time, my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night." In other words. It was what Ephesians 2, 1 said, dead, says, mm-hmm. dead in trespasses and sins. Mm-hmm. And then it says, thine eye, God's eye, diffused or shot out a quickening ray. And that concept of quickening is regeneration. Mm-hmm. I woke. All of a sudden, I woke up. I woke up to the condemnation which was hanging over me and um, the mercy that the Lord offered. So, mm-hmm. regeneration uh, seems to be, from the human perspective, uh, the first thing. And then what might ne- be next after that? So, it, it, just to simply put it in some type of chronology. Yeah, yeah. well, at least logically, if logically, not chronologically. Yeah. Um, regeneration enables you to hear the calling of God mm. and respond to it. So The internal call. 
Right. He's tugging at your heart. And Jesus said, you can't come to me unless you're drawn. Right. Unless right. I tug at you. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing that happens would be, I guess you could call it conversion, mm. the, which is a, a, a simple way of describing kind of a coin with two sides. Yes. One side of the coin is repentance, which mm-hmm. is a turning away from sin. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that coin, all importantly, as Paul points out here, is faith. Yeah. Actual belief in Christ as the substitute for my sins. Which means, uh, Brother Claxton, it cannot be just an intellectual um, coming to grips with who Christ is. There's actually a dynamic. Yeah. There's an activity that goes on where I recognize my state of condemnation. I hear the gospel that Christ died for sinners. I want that. And so I, I say, yes, Lord, I'm turning from my own way, which is what it says in, um, Paul told the Thessalonians, you turned from your own way mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the Lord. And so there is a, there, there's a 180 degree, there is a pivoting, uh, that you were heading in one direction, and now by faith, you're heading in the, another direction. Yeah, and, and that's exactly how um, theologians have described this this faith. It's not merely a matter of knowing something, or even a matter of just knowing it and intellectually assenting to mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also placing trust yes. in that fact. And the classic example is, is it's the difference between believing that the chair that you're sitting in will hold your weight mm-hmm. and actually sitting in the chair. Yes. And, and so uh, conversion involves repentance and faith. And actually and, and sitting in the chair of Jesus can save you. Actually Saying, I believe. I'm believing. Saying it and actually believing. Believing it. Yeah. Having confidence that what he says he'll do, he will do. Right. And, and, you know, I I am recognizing at that point that I can't. Mm. I think that's every bit implied in faith. Mm. Faith is letting go of the idea of meriting God's favor through anything I might do. Mm Mm-hmm giving up entirely on that and just throwing myself on the mercy of the court, if you will, and, and saying, I believe that somebody else's actions will, will satisfy what I need. Judge, Your Honor, I don't have a penny to offer to pay for my crime, but I understand there is someone very close to you who will stand in the gap for me and pay it in full. Yeah. I call upon you mm-hmm. to credit that to my account. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that fair? Yeah. Now, for the $6 million question, Uh-oh. how quickly does that transaction take place? <laughs> we talked about it here at Redbridge over the decades. Uh, you and I have discussed it recently. I really do like, uh, I really do like your, uh, your explanation that you uh, shared with me uh, a few days ago, um, that it's even faster than a nanosecond, as we've we've uh, toyed with around here. Uh, yes, I, I hope I can remember what my answer was. For well, we talked about it being like a quantum leap. Yeah, and and my rationale for that was justification ultimately is not something that is uh, done in me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the judicial act of God, as we said at the beginning. This is an omniscient, omnipotent being deciding something. How long does it take an omniscient being to decide something? It's, it's not really at that point a question of time. Can God it's, even it's decide just, something that had not ever already been decided? <laughs> no. 
no, this is this is him making a declaration. Okay. That that I am now righteous, whereas before I was And is that declaration made at the spark of faith? At, at the moment that I believe in Christ. Simultaneously. Mm-hmm. No elapsed time. I mean, how, how could there be? Again, yeah. if, if, it's, if it's God's mind in which this is happening, I can't understand how there would even, how we would even talk about time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Other than the fact that I wouldn't talk about elapsed time between my faith and my justification. Uh-huh. I would talk about elapsed time between my justification and everything in my life that preceded that moment of my justification, right? Sure. There, there, there is For chrono- me, it was right at 20 years. Yeah, there is chronology here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there is me before justification yes. in which I am judicially held out. And there's me after justification in which I, in, at which point I am judiciously, judicially heaven-bound. Now... What about, and you and I have discussed this, and you and I are on totally different um, tracks uh, in, our, in our history of being lost wow. and all. Yeah. What about the person, what about the person like me who knows precisely the moment he was born again? Mm-hmm. I was there. I was 20 years old. Uh, I was wrestling with the thought of if he comes into my life, if Christ comes into my life, I will never be the same. Mm-hmm. I actually counted the cost, mm-hmm. the best I knew how to, mm-hmm. and the best that was explained to me. And I said, I don't have any hope. I can't do this for myself. Mm-hmm. I am hellbound. Lord, save me. I believe. And so for me, I know the moment where I was, what I was doing, who I was with, of justification. Mm-hmm. And I'm not doubted. Mm-hmm. Now some nearly 43 years. About your age. How old are you? 44. What year were you born? 75. I was, I was saved in 77. So uh-huh. uh, um, nearly, nearly for that long. Um, but that's not, your, that's not your background. Mine is not so tidy. So you, your experience... Mine is very tidy. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, if we, were, if we were writing out the order of salvation, if you will, of calling yeah. and repentance and faith and then justification... Well, you, go back to the election. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's way back there. <laughs> go ahead. You, you don't have any recollection. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yours neatly fits that chronology. Uh-huh, it does. Mine... I know by faith that mine does as well, mm-hmm. but being able to put a timestamp on it like you can, I can't. Well, speak and to that because most people, I believe, most believers are like you. They're, they're, and some even some even describe it as, I can't even remember not believing. Yeah, right. Now I can't identify with that. Mine was so black and white, as a Damascus Road experience that Paul had uh-huh. in the Book of Acts. Help folks who and typically, don't have. Them. I think typically adult conversions would be it, more, and especially when you're in the gutter like I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe or no. You mean, you mean actually living in the gutter? I was. Yeah. I well in the spiritual moral gutter. Yeah. Yeah. Then um, I yes I was uh, active duty in the United States Navy when I first heard the gospel that I recognized as the gospel. Yes. And, and whereas my experience was, I, I would probably say something like, "I don't ever remember a time of not believing." Mm-hmm. I remember when I was probably something like six years old, praying a prayer of repentance and faith with my father um, after being gripped particularly by the gospel, which Mm -hmm. I had heard since I was born, Mm -hmm. basically. 
as um, many Red Bridgers have probably heard have the it. gospel. Yeah, yeah. All of your kids, all of my kids, yeah, my grandkids. Uh, your uh, your grandchildren aren't old enough yet to have uh, to consciously remember hearing the gospel, but the, they've been showered all of their lives. Right. What about that? Uh, some some of them, even some of that group, you know, some of them probably heard it, didn't necessarily believe it, mm-hmm. were, but were good church kids yeah. out of, you know, um, appearance. Right. Um, that wasn't really the case for me, though. Mm-hmm. I, I actually believed that Jesus was going to save me from my sins. Okay. As far as I can remember from that point. But uh, that was one time when I had an experience of trusting Christ, turning from my sin and trusting Christ, mm-hmm. but it was not the only one. I don't know how many times over the course of my uh, childhood, and especially as a as a you know adolescent, mm-hmm. I said I don't I don't believe I actually was converted at that mm. point. One one thing one strike against me is that I didn't have all the vocabulary that the Bible has for mm-hmm. talking about salvation. So mm-hmm. I was I was real fuzzy on the details mm. of salvation. Um, but another strike was simply that you know there was not that time where I was living for Adam and the next moment I'm living mm-hmm. for Jesus. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I was a decent kid mm-hmm. who prayed to receive Christ. Like a mm-hmm. decent kid, I was a depraved sinner who mm-hmm. didn't recognize how wretched I was. But I prayed to receive Christ at six, and nothing dramatically transformed in my six-year-old life. Yeah, I didn't you know quit smoking and <laughs> stop knocking over banks yeah. at six. <laughs> so help. Help our, our viewers who are in a similar uh-huh. uh, situation and maybe are are haunted by doubt mm. and lack of assurance uh, and, and the like. Yeah, you you know what um, what I've ultimately come to mm-hmm. since I don't have a date and time recorded in the front of my Bible mm-hmm. is what as um, most don't as as probably at least many don't yeah. Um, what I've ultimately come to is what I think Scripture emphasizes. No, what I know Scripture emphasizes is not the date of your conversion in the past, mm-hmm. but the question of right now: right. Do I trust in Jesus Christ yes. to save me from my sins yes. or not? And and is there evidence for that? Absolutely right. But as far as the question of justification goes, the question isn't decided by. I believed something at some point right past. The right. question is decided by, I am this moment trusting that all of my sins were paid for by Jesus mm-hmm. Christ on his cross, and all of his righteousness God credits to me. Because you believed. And only on the basis of faith, yeah. not on the basis of anything I have done, am doing, will do. Good. Thank you. So, that's the mechanism of justification. Thirdly, the conclusion, or what's the end result of justification. In other words, now that we've reviewed uh, the doctrine of justification, so what? Mm-hmm. What? What does? What am I to make of that? And I want to offer that um, it opens uh, a couple of doors. It immediately opens the door for the process of sanctification, mm-hmm. more on that in a moment, and it ultimately opens the door to glorification. You alluded to that a few minutes ago, where glorification is that eternal state when um, body, soul, spirit are made new. We are 
in the presence of God, uh, uh, no longer affected by sin and, and suffering and disease and, and crime and, uh, all, and pandemics, uh, but we are in a state of perfection. So uh, that's a given. We see that. Uh, we understand that to a, to a pretty good degree. And may, may I? Go ahead. I know that I know from other conversations with you that you believe this, but just so that nobody gets the wrong idea, when we say open the door to mm-hmm. sanctification and ultimate glorification, yes. we mean it more strongly than that. We mean set irrevocably the wheels in motion. It does. Sanctification will, will begin. take place. Now, discipleship is not optional. Right. If you are a, a follower of Christ, by definition, you are a disciple of right. Christ. Now, you may not be as faithful today. As you were uh, of a disciple, as you were yesterday. Yeah. Uh, any more than our children might be more obedient, more respectful today than yesterday, but still, nonetheless, a child. Yeah, and I, of course, I, I'm making exceptions for the thief on the cross kind of scenario, or whatever. But sanctification is, it should be the earnest expectation of the believer. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, glorification wasn't just opened. You know, that door was not opened. Your name was written Touché. in heaven. You're right, and you will absolutely enter there. Yeah, the op- the open door the open door uh, um, illustration is mild and, and, <laughs> yeah. and weak compared to the certainty compared we, to the way that the Bible talks about glorification. Yeah, the, yeah. the certainty and, mm-hmm. uh, of what has been provided. Now, I want to speak uh, for a moment on this uh, idea of sanctification, and as uh, Brother Claxton just uh, mentioned, you will. Uh, be uh, in, in that stream. And of course the word sanctification comes from the word uh, holy or holiness, hagias, and it's growing in holiness. Taking more and more of the characteristics of Christ, being conformed to who he is. And First John, my favorite book um, in the Bible is First John. In chapter 3, it speaks to this, uh, very, th- this very issue of how you can know, one of the ways you can know. The book of 1 John is written so that you can know that you have eternal life, chapter 5 and verse 13. Well, chapter 3 speaks uh, to this issue of walking with him, growing in him, abiding in him, or not doing so. And, and in, verse, um, in verse 4 it says, Whosoever commits sin, uh, what, did, what translation might you have there in, in 1 John 3 and verse 4? Oh, I thought you had it up there. I don't. Well, it's the it's it's present tense verb. Whoever practices sin as a lifestyle is the idea. Transgresses the law. For sin is the transgression or the violation of the law. You have it now? No. Nope. Okay. And you know that he, Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And then verse 6 gets, uh, gets into... Uh, um, describing this. If you abide in him, you sin not. That is, you don't live a life of sin. Whosoever sinneth, that is, who lives in, as a lifestyle, hath not seen him. It's not that you came to know him and then you no longer know him. You don't know him. You've never known him. Um, uh, you, you haven't seen him, neither known him. Verse 7, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness, that is, practices a life of righteousness, is righteous, or has been declared justified, even as Christ is righteous. He that committeth sin, that is, practices a life of of sin, is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, 
that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, verse 9 is really the summary. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, does not live a, a lifestyle mm-hmm. of sin. You say, well, what if I want to? What if I do? No, no, you can't. You will not do that. Notice in verse 9, for his seed remains in you. It's the very uh, word in the Greek New Testament, sperm. That is the genetic code. God's spiritual DNA is planted in the the heart, the the spirit of his child. Uh, I.e., we have his nature is what that means. Mm -hmm. His seed remains in us and we cannot sin. We cannot live a life of sin because that ch- that person is born of God. So you, you had uh, whoever practices righteousness. Yes, it's interesting because that is how ESV renders sinning. Who mm. makes a practice of sinning? A, a life a lifestyle. It's the same. It's the same idea of both righteousness and sin in that passage. Mm-hmm. It's we're not talking about whoever commits one act of sin. Right. Whoever commits one act of righteousness. Right. It's whoever makes a, a, a habitual practice. Habitual. Of Sinning versus being righteous. So, is your life characterized by a, a hunger and thirst for the things of God and a practice of that? That is, you love Him, you worship Him, um, you uh, uh, know Him in an experiential way, or would you say, no, that's not really uh, what what your life mm. is like and how it is characterized? What uh, what might um, be some evidences that we uh, some practical um, uh, aspects uh, that we might uh, offer for the folks uh, to demonstrate that to demonstrate sanctification yes uh, and that it's taking place yeah I, you know <laughs> the funny thing is one thing that I think is indicative of sanctification occurring in the life of a believer is an increasing awareness on the part of that believer of his sin absolutely uh, in other words there are probably two things it's palpable. That, yeah, there are probably two things that are going to be happening simultaneously. I am probably going to sin less yes. a year from now than I do right now yes. if I'm growing in sanctification. You're growing, yes. And at the same time, I'm probably going to be more aware of my not just precisely not just more aware, more gripped by and convicted by yeah. and convinced of. Wow, Jesus really did need to actually. Die for yeah, me because yeah. I am suffer that and die. Wretched. Yeah, suffer and die. Yeah. So, if you are nonchalant, cavalier about your own sin, wow, yeah, that that's a scary thing. Which is which is uh, which is why this comes after justification, right? Yes. This, this is this is never a question of you know how serious do I have to get about my sin in order to be saved? Uh, right. that, wrong question. Right. The the question for being saved is how serious do I have to get about whether Jesus can save me or not mm. and, and have faith. On the on the other side of that transaction of justification, and as I grow in knowing exactly what God did in saving me, I look back at you know my life before my salvation, mm-hmm. whenever that was, mm-hmm. with an increasing awareness of wow, the the cross of Christ was utterly necessary just yeah. for me yeah. and yeah. my sin, let alone the sins of the world. Yes, amen. So, in short, a justified person will have the characteristics of Christ about his or her life. No, not sinless perfection, mm-hmm. but certainly 
um, more and more of, of removal of the trappings of this world and all, and more and more of a, of, of a following of him. He becomes more real day by day, moment by moment. Mm-hmm. The Doctrine of Justification, a review. About twice as long as I thought this was going to be, <laughs> I, I think. Uh, any uh, any closing uh, words of wisdom from you? Uh, thoughts on that? You know, we didn't get to glorification, which may be just as well, because um, if, if I were going to encourage a believer, I think I couldn't do better than Paul did with, um, with that, which is the ultimate hope for you and me as justified uh, individuals is not perpetually getting less and less sinful and more and more like the Savior. Our ultimate hope is what God said five chapters later in Romans, that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That is not just about become progressively more and more like Him. No, that's actually being conformed to the image of His Son. We are predestined to be in His presence one day for all eternity. As if we were His own children, which in fact we are. Well, And 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 Ephesians 1 says, spiritually, we're already seated in heavenly places in Christ. Yeah, and we cannot be any more sure for heaven than if we were actually there right now. But we're so not there right now. And (laughs) and glorification is the blessed hope of Finally, realizing what is true from God's judgment bench now, but not true in our experience day to day. And but on his, that day it will be. Won't His mercies be uh, beyond? I mean, they're beyond comprehension. Uh-huh. But when we are in His presence, and there isn't any more of of this. Uh, it'll just be all the more uh, evident. The the angels long to look into salvation. Yeah. Imagine when all of the sin right. is done clouding our minds, yeah. and we can look at a life uh, lived and a Savior dead mm-hmm. and risen, and really understand what Jesus did for mm-hmm. us every day, as if there will be day by day. Mm. We will have something new, right, to rejoice over. No, no boredom in heaven. Yeah. It will be. Uh, it'll be uh, every moment uh, a, a different facet of the of the brilliant gem, gemstone uh, of the glory of God. And another layer of our thankfulness. Mm, amen. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Well, we had uh, uh, determined ahead of time that uh, Adam is going to close uh, in a word of prayer for you, for those uh, who have um, watched this uh, review of the Doctrine of Justification. And if you do not know that you've been justified, go to redbridgebaptist.com. Send us a note. Let us know. We, we want to be able to help you. Amen. Father, how grateful um, I am now. I can't imagine how grateful mm-hmm. I will be in yes, eternity Lord. to know just what you what it takes for you to be both just yes. and the justifier yes, of someone like me. Mm. What, what a what a gift that we will sing about for eternity, ever and ever, ages and ages to come. Father, thank you for the gift of justification that we can't earn by sanctification. That comes later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is only received as a gift by faith. Yes, Lord. And Father, I would wish two things. One, anyone who's listening to us who has been justified and is confident in their justification, mm-hmm. that, they're, uh, uh, that they would long to peer deeper and deeper mm-hmm. into what the Word yes, says Lord. about this um, staggering reality of a righteous judge calling us not guilty. How, how can that be and how, could, how can it happen? And 
and uh, how do you bring that to pass? so that they can glorify you more and more and want to live more and more as those who are being conformed to your image. Secondly, for any who don't know, um, am I justified? Mm. Has my sin been paid for? Father, that they would right now turn in faith to Jesus Christ. That they would abandon any hope of any way through you know, increasing their own understanding and intellect, through increasing their good works, through bettering their church attendance or their parenting or whatever else in this life, but Father, mm. only clinging to Christ yes, as Lord. their perfect substitute, that they would have confidence in you for your act of justification. We ask it in Jesus' name, and so that he would be glorified, yes. not us. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Tune in. Sunday morning, 10.30 a.m. Central Time. See you then.